Hello and welcome to an all new episode of Talking Football, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. My name is Nicholas Wiltung and I'm greeting you for a second time this week. So why am I doing just that, you might wonder. Well, to tell you the truth, I hadn't planned on doing so. But on Thursday night I called up a friend of the show, Felix Tamsu, to talk about the German ultra scene's reaction to the corona crisis. I planned on using that interview as, you know, a mid-section interview we could use in next week's show, which should last for maybe 20-25 minutes. But in the end, me and Felix, we just chatted for over an hour. So I thought, why not put that great, great interview out on the internet straight away for you to enjoy. So here we go. Here's my chat with Felix Tamsud about all things German football fan culture in the light of the coronavirus outbreak. Hope you enjoyed. Joining me now is Deutsche Welle journalist and expert on German fan culture, Felix Tamsud. How are you doing in these socially isolated days, Felix? Um, yeah, it's been challenging. It's been difficult. Obviously, the fact that there is no football is taking its toll, not only in terms of many people not having anything to do over the weekend, but also in terms of, you know, the social connections you have and the sort of things you're used the people you're used to see every single weekend. I miss that a lot. I miss my friends a lot. I miss uh, all sorts of aspects about the game, but it is what it is. So that's just how it is. So let's make the most out of it, I guess. Yeah, here we sit, the two of us, both on our computers, both perfectly in line with the with the party directions, I was going to say, and drinking a beer each. To put a positive spin on it, life could be worse. Oh, absolutely. As of now. <laughs> But cutting straight down to the chase and why I wanted you to join us on this program is the fact that German fan culture and the work of ultra groups has been widely recognized by German society and the press over the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. Ever since Germany and the rest of Europe started facing the COVID-19 outbreak. A couple of weeks ago, there was a snippet of a speech being held by Christoph Rasche, a, a member of the Parliament in the federal state of North Rhine-Westphalia, who represents the Free Democratic Party, which is a bit like the Liberal Democrats in, in England, I suppose. Yeah. He went viral on the internet when he said the following. Now you can see football ultras creating banners for and thanking hospital staff. Who would have thought only a few months ago? Well, would you have thought that the ultra scene was capable of such things even before the outbreak of the coronavirus, Felix? Do Start off with a super leading question. Well, uh, luckily for us, I don't need to uh, imagine or think of anything because that's been happening ever since I've been living in Germany anyways. Like I, I'm, I live here for five years. Fan culture has always been my focus ever since I moved here. And I can say with a, with a certainty of 100% that such things have been going on in different times, different groups. But the tendency was always there. The tendency was always to give something back to the community, to use that power that football has and that football support has and that the ultra subculture has and that ultra groups here have in terms of organizational skills, personal connections, the names they have in their cities. 
to use that for the greater good and for the good of the community. Sometimes not only for the community. We've seen, you, you mentioned that quote from the FDP politician. He said only a few months, who would have thought that would have been the case? So only a few months in the month of November, in the, in the months of November and December, we've had literally, I think I wouldn't exaggerate if I'll say every single ultra scene in Germany had at least one or two groups that had all sorts of actions before Christmas, be it for homeless people. That was probably the most common one. Collecting items for homeless people was very common. We've had ultra groups carrying out actions for shelters for uh, for women, for an instance. We've had groups organizing uh, lectures and days of action against depression for refugees for third world countries. We've had that. You name it, ultra groups did it. Only a few months ago, dear politicians. So there is no need for me to imagine anything. It's just, it's been taking place on a regular basis. And what has been changing in the last few weeks is that ultras are now receiving the recognition they actually, yeah, they actually deserve from German society. That's that's the news here. Mm, but what I'm sort of interested in is this disconnect between the reality you describe and his perception of what ultras are. It's it's a very real thing, though, within parts of the population who only follow football as sort of like, it's there, but it's not really their main focus, so they wouldn't know. So why don't they know? Where, where is that disconnect coming from? Well, I would divide it into a few, a few several, a few different sort of uh, aspects that create the situation. First of all, German society is a society that's very, that's structured around certain ideas and certain, yeah, I wouldn't say beliefs, but certain, certain things that once they take claim in society, it's very hard to get rid of them. I think this is a classic case of the what they call in German in Germany the Mittelgesellschaft, like society center, and what it thinks about football fans. I think it's it mostly stems from times where German football was real or German football support was really nothing to be proud of. Which I'm only talking about what the 80s, where you've had. In, I, I think I wouldn't exaggerate if I say in most stadiums you've had fascists, you had racists, monkey chants were nothing uh, out of the ordinary. In most stadiums you could hear songs about sending, sa- building like uh, uh, rails, rail tracks, and sending rival fans to Auschwitz. That was very common, and I think that the sort of perception of football fans come comes from this particular time in history where. Football support in Germany really came from very, very problematic places. That's the one aspect of things. The other aspect is that because this sentiment is very common in society here, large parts of the media sort of play into the sentiment. It also involves all sorts of aspects of media work, and that's that's for media students to research, of course. But once you know, as as a media outlet or as a, as a journalist sometimes, but mostly as a media outlet, once you know or as an editor that a big, large parts of your audience sees football fans in a certain way, you will try to sell them article to serve that sentiment. And that's also been a, a big issue. I mean, I've seen, again, I, I've only been living in Germany for like five years. 
And I've been following the way media, the me- large parts of the media, not all of them, of course, you have exceptions. I have many, many colleagues, um, just name a few, like uh, my colleague Matt Ford from Deutsche Welle, uh, Edgar Lopez, a good colleague and a friend of mine, Mara Pfeiffer, another colleague who's brilliant writing about fan culture issues. And there are so many more that are doing something differently and re- really looking into things, criticizing where it ne- where things need to be criticized, where they see the need to carry out criticism, but also say, come on, let's put things in perspective. And I think large parts of the Germany media still don't do that. They still assume that, for an instance, when there's a police report coming, they take it as granted that the information there is true and they barely do any journalistic work in terms of asking extra questions, in terms of checking what actually happened, in terms of representing the fan side of things which I think hurts the fans' sort of PR, let's call it. This is also another aspect of it. I think the last thing that needs to be discussed in this context is also, yeah, because of those two things, many fans or many many ultra groups are relatively close to the media or relatively close, or were up until recently a closed shop, which they said, screw it, we don't want people see us this way. So we don't, we don't fancy changing it because they see us this way anyway, and the media won't cover our story properly, so we might as well not talk to them. And that's another aspect of things, even though in this area, I feel like this has been changing. I feel like there's lots of ultra groups that do a very good job in terms of their quote-unquote PR. As a journalist, I've been talking with, I think, yeah, many, many, many ultras in the in my time here in the last three years. And I can see that this has been changing and that's good. You can actually see that in the current story with the corona, you can see that this, this bears fruit and this brings results. And I just hope it will continue as a journalist and as a football fan alike. Yeah, I mean, when I read the coverage that German ultra groups receive, generally speaking, before corona, there is... Magazines like Balistra and Austria, which needs your help now, by the way. So if you don't have signed up for for a, you know a subscription, do so now. Please do. Really. I, I also recommend it. Great, great colleagues do fantastic work covering fan culture and football in general. You have our Freunde in Germany, but then you have sort of like the media at large who, um, when it comes to ultra groups, they all they ever seem to be concerned about is pyrotechnics. That's the sort of thing that gives them their you know that that's all ultra stand for. They want they want to burn stuff in the stadium, and they want to put innocent children at risk, as Johannes Beckern, a German talk show host, once put it. And and that sort of sentiment is followed up and you know played out time and time again when you sort of read through the mainstream press. So is that sort of ultra point of wanting to legalize pyrotechnics? Is is that really maybe a lost cause for them in that regard? Is is that maybe? I mean, that's a, that's a good question. I think the issue of, of pyrotechnics in particular, you can have different opinions about it as long as it's a discussion that's based on facts and based on based on construct on a constructive will of this of discussion of finding solutions. I genuinely think it's it's completely legitimate to think pyro doesn't belong in football stadiums. I personally, yeah, as a football fan, I am a person that sort of. Yeah, I see the positives about it. And for me as a fan, it makes, it triggers emotions in me 
that I would that I like that I want to be triggered in that sense. I also think that in terms of the numbers, in terms of the number of injuries resulted by pyro in German stadiums, the, the numbers are pretty clear in that that the way ultra groups handle the topic of pyro, it's backed by numbers that they that the idea that many ultra groups, not all of them, but many ultra groups sort of enforce on themselves, such as pyro doesn't leave the hand. We only use it within certain areas of the of the stands. There's all sorts of rules within ultra groups that make sure that these things will be handled in the safest way possible. Of course, that's not always the case. We've had rockets being being shot like pyrotechnical rockets, not actual rockets like I know from my homeland of Israel, but in places like uh, the, the Berlin Derby and Stuttgart away at uh, Union, there were a few instances. But those were singular instances. And the number, we're talking about the number of injuries that's very, very, very low. Just for for the for the sake of the discussion, in a year in, the, in Germany's top three divisions, we have what 22 million stadium goers. In the 17-18 season, there were 50 people injured by pyrotechnics. Five zero. That's nothing. Of course, that's 50 too far. And that's where my idea of coming into constructive discussion about it and trying to find solution which would work for everyone. Like in places that we've had solutions being suggested in places like Denmark, Norway, the US, you name it. But having said that, even though I myself see the pluses about Pyro as both a journalist and a football fan, I understand that some people see it otherwise. And I think this discussion needs to be had between all sides. But that's exactly the point. There's a there's the need for discussion and not for criticizing, not for talking over people's heads, but talking with them and finding solutions with them. That's how constructive process about any issue, not only about pyro. If you're talking about, you know, we've had the Dietmar Hop protests. Do you really think that if the DFB and the DFL would have engaged in a meaningful discussion in a meaningful dialogue with fan groups about these things we wouldn't have gotten this far and this this is starting to to sort of change now for for all sorts of reasons and thankfully but this is the sort of mechanism we need to sort of create between football's executives and the DFB and the DFL and fan and ultra groups in order for us to go forward and i think the certain level or the certain coverage that ultra groups have been receiving in the last three, four years. That's what I know because that's the period of time that I've been following it and covering it professionally myself. I think that's not very constructive and this leads to more conflict and not to solutions. Yeah, a couple of points about, about the points you've just made. I live in Norway and I've been to many football matches here and the use of pyrotechnics in Norway is slightly different from what you've been seeing in Germany. So, Pyrotechnics have to be approved by the local fire department. So they are in charge of allowing the pyrotechnics to be used. And they're not used during the match. They're used before kickoff. So the smoke is cleared off the pitch before the game starts. So if you imagine that you know pyrotechnics are used at some point during the match, no, it doesn't happen. Oftentimes the people using pyrotechnics are actually standing on the pitch, you know, holding up a couple of, you know, these flamethrowers, which looks pretty impressive. But, you know, just to put that into context, and about the hop protests, I think it was sort of like one ultra group stated, if we hadn't gone this far, nobody would have 
recognize what our grievances actually were. And you can see that in the reaction from the DFL and the DFB, because in the end, they actually were willing to come back to the table to talk to the fans because they saw the product they're trying to sell, it doesn't bode well for them if they have the nas- this sort of nastiness in the stands week in and week out. And that's what they basically want to prevent from happening going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I also think the hop example is a very good example. I mean, I can only make the comparison between, yeah, I mean, I'm, everyone knows that I have connections to FC Köln as a club, as a fan scene. I'm going to almost every single game and I know my way around uh, the club and its fans. And put it this way, the best example, we've had just a few years ago that the Zutkov FAO, like the head uh, association of FC Köln's fan and ultra groups, they've released really, really detailed brochure about what they think are the problems with German football, in particular with, with the context of RB Leipzig. And the, the, their whole issue about commercialization in football. Why do they think it's a problem going forward? Why do they boycott games? It was very detailed. It was very, very, very clear. And it was very, very non-provocative and informative. How much attention did it get? Zero from the general <laughs> public. Yeah, then you put up then you put up one banner that says that says the very sexist term Hohenzoll or put a person in crosshairs and on every single media outlet in country talks about it and the media talks about it and uh, the DFB and the DFL talk about it as you say at the end of the day it even got them to go back to the table and start discussing things so in a way this sort of counterproductive not only media coverage, but also the counterproductive uh, perception of ultras, of the ultra subculture and ultra groups in general here in Germany, basically leads inadvertently to them being rewarded for being provocative. And if this is the only thing that works, if this leads to solutions, then why not do it again and again and again? That's <laughs> simple as that. The, 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 the bottom line is that there needs to be created, a mechanism need to, needs to be created, created that will reward constructive discussion and dialogue. And currently, unfortunately, that's not the case. And I think, I think the corona break sort of provides us with a very, very good opportunity in German football. It also has lots of challenges financially, all true, but it also provides us with a, a bit of a chance. And I think the chance in the area of fan culture anyways, is to use that momentum, to use that momentum on both sides, by the way, of coming into discussion, to use this sort of extraordinary situation to come and say, here, we've spent two or three months without football. You've done so much good for your communities as fans. We try to keep our clubs going and keeping them from going bust. Let's see how we create a mechanism that would work for both sides so that we'll get into discussions and we'll talk about things instead of going about this in a counterproductive way like I described. I really hope that would be the case. Whether that's be the case or not, I don't know. Obviously, the future will tell. But I really hope both both Germany's ultras, but mostly Germany's footballing authorities will use that chance for the good and we'll see change. Well, I mean, I, I could highlight, I mean, thinking about the whole pyrotechnic thing, what just popped into my mind was the fact that HSV actually had cold pyrotechnics at the game against 
culture is say, in the Bundesliga too. True, absolutely. And I mean, this is this is exactly the sort of things that I'm talking about. I mean, the highest foul example is a very good example because in this case, the club itself, Heisfau, one of Germany's most decorated clubs, a big club, a well-known club, well-supported club, they decided, uh, when was it? I think it was two years ago, that they decided to come out in the open and say, listen, you accept it or not, pyrotechnics are, par- are an integral part of German fan culture. That's just how it is. Whether you accept it or not is basically if you accept it or not, it doesn't matter because it's a fact of life. So let's see how we find constructive solutions going forward. And one of the results of this discussion was that the fan scene, in cooperation with the club, has organized this 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 legal pyro show. Of course, it wasn't to the same extent as we're used to seeing like spectacular pyro shows uh, all across the stand and stuff like that. But it was a start. It was a way of saying, we're ready to make compromises. Just come into discussion with us. Just let us find a way together. There are many, many other examples of that. Heisfau are hardly the only club. And not only in the region of pyrotechnics as well, in, 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 in many, many other topics. I can only point out to Fortuna Dusseldorf, a club that's also in constant discussion with their fan groups and ultras. A club that has recently taken the advice of fan and ultra groups and has cancelled a sponsoring agreement with a local company because anti-fascist groups have found connections to the far-right scene and the ultra group. The ultra scene sort of said, listen, this cannot go on. Uh, the club needs to do something about it. And the club said, yes, you have a point. Let's see Let's see what we can do about it. And this is exactly the mechanism that I think that fans, fan representatives and ultra representatives and club should have. And I, I can only hope that going forward, many, many more clubs and indeed the football association and the football league will follow suit. Mm. Moving on to the second question I've written down, are there any particular ultra-driven initiatives that have come about in the wake of the coronavirus outbreak which you think deserve, deserve to be highlighted? Wow, there are so many. I think that the ones that caught my eye, first of all, I think that in many senses the leader or the leading ultra scene in Germany in that sense, I think it's clear to say it's half Stuttgart, what uh, both the biggest ultra group there, Kommando Kanstadt and the Schwabensturm, another ultra group sort of came out and, and, and sort of provided help from the very beginning. I think there were, I'm pretty sure there were also like the first fan scenes to sort of do something about it, to list a few of their actions. They provide uh, help in their region in terms of going shopping and moving different packages. Commando Kanstadt have connections to an Italian ultra group, if I'm not mistaken, Rimini, but I'm not entirely sure of the city. But they have they have a connection with an Italian ultra group, and they raised money to a hospital in that city. In addition to providing this sort of services, they use their, as I said, their organizational skills. Just as a remark, many, many ultra groups were not the only ones helping in those cities. Many ultra groups sort of joined forces with other uh, groups, with other NGOs, with other uh, active political groups, for instance, to sort of use the organizational skills of everyone together. In the city of Furat, you had three ultra groups joining in with local left-wing uh, organizations to sort of coordinate the efforts. And in Stuttgart, the ultras from Commando Kanstadt were basically among the leading organization of a of an initiative called Stuttgart Hilft or something along those lines, where people from the whole city or organizers, organizations from the whole city provided were providing help and coordinating it. 
I think it's also worth mentioning that it wasn't just help. It wasn't just physical help. It was something that I think is worth mentioning in that context. We've all seen the many banners uh, across many, many German cities thanking hospital staff, thanking supermarket staff for their dedication during those times. But what I think is not being discussed enough, and that's a shame, is the fact that several ultra groups didn't think that was enough. They thought, thank you is not enough. They need to be paid in accordance to their efforts. Just from the top of my head, Borussia Dortmund Group The Unity had banners across the city calling for nursing staff and supermarket staff to be paid living wages or wage that is respectable to their to what they do. Zang Pauli is another, Ultra Zang Pauli is another group that had a banner along the same lines. And I think this is also a sense that also needs to be uh, emphasized. Ultra groups It's important to to emphasize where this sentiment comes from. Many of those ultra groups, it's not only that they're familiarized with what's going on in the community in that sense. It's it's not only that many of them obviously know people that have corona. Some of them have corona themselves and stuff like that. that. This affects all of us. But I think there are quite a few ultra groups that I know of whose members work in nursing, whose members work in the medical system. They see firsthand what we're talking about. I'll just give my personal example. I'm not a member of a neutral group, a member of a Vanessa FC fan club. And in our fan club, we have quite a few people that work in nursing and they've been sharing their experiences with us, not because they want to scare us, but because they're, my, they're our friends. That's what friends. That's what friends do. They share with each other. And I can only imagine that, it, that in many, many ultra groups, it's basically the same mechanism. This sort of triggers this sentiment of saying, listen, We know exactly what these people are going through. We know exactly what these people are doing for society right now. When you guys are, when everyone's locking themselves at home and, you know, trying to be, stay away, those people are putting themselves on the line. Those people are being exposed to people that actually have corona only for the sake of the community moving forward. And I think this is a sentiment that also needs to be emphasized. And as far as I'm concerned, it's just as important as saying thank you. It's also demanding proper reward. And I can only hope that those calls from very, very, from the many ultra groups will also be heard by the government and by the supermarket chains, etc. It's really strange to see that, you know, these so-called low-skill jobs, they suddenly turn out to be among the most essential. You know, the supermarket worker, the driver who transports goods over borders, Mm-hmm. You know, every, you know, there's usually a sentiment that everybody can be, a, you know, a lorry driver or or supermarket worker, but you know, these days, these people they are actually putting themselves in considerable danger to a certain extent, and they, you know, they they actually provide you with services and goods that you so desperately need in these times, and they they keep society working, which. Uh, you know, given the the wages they're usually paid and the wages they are paid right now, it's um, yeah, it's it's really um, something to think about going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And again, and again, I mean, in the footballing context, I can only I can only mention that there's an amount of people who are members of ultra. Of course, ultra groups. Or, or fan groups in general, in Germany anyways, I don't know how it is in many other places, but in Germany anyways, you have people from literally every single walk of life. This perception of Fußball als Volkssport, 
which is a phrase that German football fans used to uh, use a lot, like keep keep football as the people's sport. This is a the best expression of it or the best way it comes across is in fan groups, because in fan groups or in ultra groups, you see people from literally every single walk of life. You see academics, you see people that come from well-off backgrounds, from working class backgrounds, people that sometimes don't have any education at all, people that sometimes, um, you know, all sorts of people, and they all come together for the sake of expressing their support for a football team. And through this membership of a fan and ultra group, through this membership, they also get exposed to each other and to each other's experiences and to each other's uh, way of experiencing life, which I think is a massive, massive factor here. It's a massive factor in how ultra groups sort of act under the current circumstances. And I, I can only hope that going forward, uh, um, also, we've mentioned, I've mentioned the term Mitteda Gesellschaft earlier. So I really hope German society's center we'll learn to acknowledge that and we'll learn to understand that while it sees certain elements of the subculture as negative, which is legit, I mean, people can... I'm not saying that ultras are beyond criticism, by no means. No one is beyond criticism, and definitely not ultra groups. But I think that once this criticism comes from a constructive place, you can find a common language and you can find solution going forwards. And that's what I would want, again, as a journalist writing about fan culture and as a football fan myself. Hmm. So, I mean, you've sort of touched upon this, but um, quickly, do you think that the perception of ultra groups and football fans in general is going to change after all of this is over? That's a good question. There are signs that show that things are changing. If it's going to change in the long run, I don't know. Some voice in me tells me to be a bit skeptical about it because German society tends to be very stubborn on certain things. But I can only hope that would be the case. I can only hope that ultras will be, or the ultra subculture in Germany and the different ultra groups and what they do for the community. I can only hope that these things will come across just in just the same level of, of, of attention in society, in the media, in the among politicians, just as when, say, there's a violent incident. Just say when there's... I don't know, an incident with pyrotechnics, just as when there's um, banners that are offensive or something along those lines. I can only hope that these things will receive just the same amount of attention. And that's how you can create this mechanism that I was talking about, a mechanism of discussion, a mechanism of constructive dialogue, which would lead to solutions and not to more grievances between both sides. I can only hope. If that's, if that's going to be the case, I don't know, but fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed indeed. Well, changing topics ever so slightly, uh, a lot has been said and written about the Bundesliga and other European leagues, uh, what they should do in regards of the ongoing outbreak of the coronavirus. Um, as of now, the Bundesliga has decided to postpone all activities until April the 30th, and they are planning to see out the last nine match days by playing in front of empty stadiums. Well, at least that's the plan. What does the active fan scene in Germany think of that solution? That's a good question. Generally speaking, I think one of the aspects of, of, of the whole thing ever since it started, I think fan, fan and ultra groups were the first to say, you cannot play football like this. From both the perspective of us as fans, we see it as uh, as something that's, fa that's false. But mostly the call from many, many fan representatives and ultra representatives were 
you cannot put people at risk. You cannot... There is no way on earth that even if you play behind closed doors, just from the sake of a professional football team traveling from city A to city B to play a game of football, you're basically taking the risk of moving the virus from one place to the other. It's just as simple as that. And I think most ultra groups and fan groups in general would see it as a negative thing, would see it as a problematic decision in the sense of, the virus doesn't care about you being careful. The virus doesn't care about the stadium being empty. The, the virus only cares about catching from one human being and the other. And once two players go into a sliding tackle and they literally exchange sweat between one another, I don't think there's a realistic chance of them being able to protect themselves. And we have to remind ourselves, in the discussion about whether football should take place or not, one thing is often being forgotten, which are the players themselves. They are human beings. Yes, they are being paid a hell of a lot of money, but they are people with families. They are people that have relatives. They have people, they have kids. And they, should they get the virus, they also put their own families at risk. And forcing them to play football be it in the constellation of, you know, uh, we've read this uh, report by uh, MDL today that says that something along the lines of that every single player will go through a corona test every three days and players that will be confirmed as uh, carriers of the virus will be quarantined alone, not with their teammates. Their teammates will not be quarantined. That's against as far as I know, I'm not a legal expert, but that's against every medical recommendation that I've read about. So football here, basically, if that is indeed the case, I mean, it's currently just a report, but you can only hope that for the sake of the players, their families, staff members, essential match day employees, I can only hope that this will not go ahead because we're talking about a virus that really doesn't care about money. It doesn't care about football. It doesn't care about society. All it cares about is catching from one person to the other. And if us not having football for who knows how long is the price we'll have to pay, then so be it. And I'm going to say something that goes even further. As far as I'm concerned, even at the price of, you know, people talking about clubs going bust and stuff like that, as far as I'm concerned, this is a worry. I'll be the first to sort of burst in tears if my club goes bust. At the same time, I think the issue with this thing is that we're basically trying to apply a human logic upon something that doesn't care about our human logic. For that reason, I tend to say that German football needs to stop as long as the threat is there, no matter the price, because the alternative is literally human lives being, caught, being lost. The way I understand it, again, I'm not a medical expert, but if the reports uh, that we read are correct and if the, you know, the World Health Organization, the German uh, health ministry, everything they say is true, there is no way on earth that football or any other sport or any other public event should be played under those circumstances. It remains to be seen what will actually be the decision. Well, I mean, there are a couple of elements playing in here uh, from what I understand. Right now, there are trials, drug trials for um, Remdesivir, which is an Ebola drug, and uh, chloroquine, which is a malaria drug. How these drug trials are panning out is yet to be seen, but, you know, if we have a drug that has a certain effect and that can cure a lot of people instead of, you know, what 
medical professionals basically do right now is they give supportive treatment. They give you oxygen. They maybe give you, uh, you know, liquids, uh, maybe food through, uh, uh, you know, if you cannot eat and they provide you food. But, you know, they, they cannot give you any sort of drugs other than supportive treatment. And there is no drug that can cure this. But if we do have a drug that can work effectively maybe we can sort of start loosening up these tight regulations. But that is, at best, three or four months away. And it's not a given. It's not a given. Yeah, that's exactly the point. I mean, I, I mean, again, I'm not a medical expert. I don't know what's the time period in which this could be realized. I don't know when a vaccination or if a vaccination could be found. All I know is that the, those that I trust are the people that sort of, that are experts on this, virologists the World Health Organization, the German Health Ministry, the professionals that deal with those things on a regular basis, that studied it for years, that have been treating viruses for years, that have been researching viruses for years. And what we've been hearing from them suggests that football be being played right now is irresponsible, is dangerous, is, is baffling, is you name it. And I think German football should really, really, really sort of neutral. I know, and I know how difficult it is, and I know how, how, like, how difficult the price is, which could potentially be paid. But at the same time, again, we're applying human measures or human structures upon something that doesn't care about her human structures. It doesn't care about companies going bust. It doesn't care about people uh, losing certain amounts of their livelihood. All it cares about is catching from one person to the other. And you can never know who's going to pay the price as a result. And this price is not money or, or income. This price is literally people's lives. And in those circumstances, it's very, very difficult for me to say. It pains me physically to say it, but I really don't think football should be played anytime soon unless the professionals say that beyond any reasonable doubt, we have a solution to this. We can guarantee people's safety and then we can start thinking of loosening stuff. But as long as that's not the case, I think talking about football being played is detached from reality. Well, I mean... We live in the real world. We have seen the news over the last couple of weeks. Countries are tightening their grips on the restrictions they're putting out these days. It's going in that direction. So Germany just passed, or was it just Berlin? I think it was Berlin, or all of Germany just passed a law which forbade more than two people gathering together at the same time. In, if I'm not mistaken, it's in most of Germany. I think it's also here. Assembling more than two people at one time, that just passed. So right now, if you are a group of three mates wandering about, the police in Germany is going to tell you, please split up. You're not allowed to do so. So given that we're going that way rather than loosening stuff up, yeah, I think um, you must live in a fairy tale and to believe that you can start playing football. Absolutely, and I mean, I, I will also say something which I think is not very, not not expected of me given given my uh, views on football's executives, but I really do think that DFL has generally been managing the crisis in a way that's very respectable. I really do think so. I think Christian Zeifert. The DFL's head has been doing his utmost best to sort of see how can solutions be found for all sides. 
Uh, I think the way he's been coming forward to the media and uh, saying very openly and sort of describing the problems very openly has been positive, a positive development. Having said that, all the clarity and all the transparency in the world wouldn't change the fact that this virus is after every single one of us. And uh, by every single one of us, I include staff members, club executives, football players, their families, their children. And under those circumstances, I really do not see any way the game could be played. You know, Zeifert, uh, uh, Christian Zeifert, the head of the DFL, was, um, went on record on a press conference when, two days ago, I think, uh, said something along the lines of, we, we want to give people some norm- the sense of normality. I have a few problems with this argument. First of all, playing football in front of an empty stadium is anything but normal. Second of all, I think the fact that some think that people under these circumstances will actually think about football when their actual lives are at risk is a bit of a long shot. But I mostly think I personally, again, I just see football players. I see executives. I see match day employees that have to be there. I mean, again, people forget. We're not only talking about 11 people against 11 people playing a game of football. We're talking about stewards that have to be there. We're talking about medical staff that has to be there. We're talking about policing. Still, even for an empty stadium, you need to have police in place. There are rules about this. And those are all things that can and should be prevented if we are serious in tackling this virus. Even those things are probably not as going to be as big a problem as fans gathering together, because whenever there's a football match on television, fans are going to gather together, and that's how you spread the virus even further throughout the entire population, because, you know, this sort of virus, I'll give you an example, one of the first outbreaks in Berlin, that was one person being infected by the virus who went to a nightclub, and he infected a total of, I think, 25 other persons. In one night. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this is exactly the point. You know, you mentioned uh, fans waiting outside stadiums. I don't think that's going to happen, to be honest. No, I, I think I think more of fans gathering together in front of the television sets in, at home. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, that, that's, you know, that's gathering exactly. of five or six, seven people. I mean, and that could spread it. Exactly. I mean, just as, an, just, as a, just for my example, I mean, the only uh, game held behind closed doors ever since the coronavirus uh, spread sort of really started getting hold in Germany was our derby, as they have taken away at Gladbach. Do you think that because the game was held behind closed doors, I did not watch it with friends? Of course I did. Everyone did. The pubs were, back then the pubs were open. Pubs were full. Pubs are much more dangerous in terms of spreading viruses than than football grounds, if you think about it. Football ground is open. So I think holding a football game under such circumstances is, is problematic on so many levels. And I can only hope that German football's heads will manage to find solutions going forward that will not include that. I can only hope beyond that that a solution will be found and we will all return to normal as soon as possible because I think we all miss this drug called football with everything that comes with it. In my case, I mentioned it already, the social connections that come with uh, the friends that you see every single weekend, it's it's missing. I can I cannot describe in words how much I miss it. I cannot put it, I genuinely cannot put it into words. But having said that, it's literally people's lives being on the line. And in that sense, 
we can only hope the solution will be eased at some point soon. The top people on German football, they, they seem to be rather hoping that they can finish the season, play all those last nine match days and ten match days in the case of Eintracht Frankfurt and Werder Bremen. We have an outstanding match now. Freddy Bobic, who was the really whining in the press when his uh, when the Eintracht Frankfurt's Europa League match against Salzburg was moved to a Friday, and his team would have had to play against Werder Bremen on a Sunday, he wasn't okay with the match being moved to a Monday, and he said that the match needed to be postponed because it was unfair. It was what uh, he called Wettbewerbsverzerrung. What what would be a good English word for that? Like, uh, uh, yeah, uh, hurting the the com the competition's value or something. Yeah, but now uh, now that he actually sees that a lot of money is going to miss from the coffers now that the TV deal <laughs> doesn't keep bringing in the money because no matches are being played. He says, yeah, we could play two to three matches a week now once we get started again. So, you know, that players resting and getting enough rest, that doesn't seem to be as important when you are playing for millions and millions and millions and millions of euros as it seemed back then. No, I mean, it also has to be said that many, many clubs in Germany are dependent on those millions literally for their survival. And this is certainly not an easy situation. We've already had reports of certain clubs being on the brink of a bankruptcy. There were reports that they are already going bankrupt, but the club came out and said, no, that's not the case. We still have a few, at the very least, a few weeks of being able to pay our bills Uh, which is, of course, good news. Like Karlsruhe, Karlsruhe SC are a big, big club in Germany, and I wouldn't want such a club to disappear. Or any club, I wouldn't want any club to disappear. I think the clubs are what makes German football the special thing that it is, part of what makes special uh, German football the special thing that it is. And they are facing a very difficult situation, and the money from the TV deal is vital for their existence in many, many cases. Having said that, yeah, we are facing an issue that doesn't care about money, that doesn't care about us having or not having our football club. It only cares about, as far as I'm concerned, it only cares about killing people. And once you face that, everything else goes to the side. Because even if uh, you and I were young people, hopefully healthy people, I catch the virus, I most likely will sit at home for two weeks and everything will be okay. But I have a neighbor who's 90 years old. If she catches the virus, it could mean uh, death. And that's exactly the sort of solidarity that I want to see from Bundesliga clubs towards their players, their families, their staff members. I can only hope that this will be um, this will be reflected in the decision made. Well, I think this is going to be my last question, but now that we're in the midst of not knowing what is going to happen and when we'll be able to return to play football, how do you think German football is going to look after we have powered through the corona crisis? Do you think that we might be in a scenario where we won't be able to finish the season and what sort of solutions are there for for you know that scenario if we really aren't able to finish the season which i think is probably the most likely outcome here if i'm being honest yeah i mean it's a very good question i genuinely don't know i really don't envy the dfb and the dfl under those circumstances and again to be honest and to be fair to them 
they've been doing a relatively good job in sort of clarifying and being transparent about their considerations and about the decisions they're facing. Again, I mentioned Christian Seifert. I will mention him again, the DFL's head, who I criticized in many, many cases before. I think in this case, he's been doing his best and more than his best, and I think that should be commended. At the same time, yeah, I mean, you you just never know. It depends how long it will take. It depends what's going to happen after after the end of April. It really depends. And I think German football or football in general uh, will be seen in a very, very different light by all sides. I think that the concept of us having this, this wonderful thing called football will be sort of... The fact that we have football again will be perceived by all sides as a way of saying, now that we have it, let's make sure we make the most of it. Let's make sure we make something constructive out of it. Let's make sure we talk to each other. That's, I can only hope that the result of this, this horrible, horrible thing we're all going through in the footballing sense of the word, of course, the footballing result, I can only hope it would be a way of creating a mechanism of say, listen, we've all been through three, four months without football. We've all seen how difficult it is for everyone, for all sides. We've all gone through this together, through willingness to do something extra for both our clubs and the local communities. Let's see how we can use this sort of positive vibe and find uh, mechanisms and find dialogue systems that will serve us going forward. I can only hope that German football will understand its social and political responsibility much more than it did in the last few years. I can only hope that German football clubs will understand what sort of roles they have in their communities, what sort of message they can send and what sort of power their support has over people's lives. And should that be the case, even if football, even if the football itself won't be as good, even if you'll see players being sold for 3 million instead of 40 million, even if you'll see German football, the the Bundesliga becoming irrelevant in sporting terms, which is something that people mentioned, which I don't think will be the case. But even if it will be, I can only hope that for the sake of what makes German football special, that those things will come as a result of of, of that break that's been forced on us. And I really, really hope that this chance that's been created right now is going to be used uh, wisely by all sides involved. Well, next season, the Belarusian League is probably going to be the best league on earth as it's still the only league that is currently still in action, which is absolute madness. But then again, the country has a mad, mad man on top of the pyramid there. Just to add something to those sentiments you just brought forward, I, I would say that it it's going to be very difficult to decide how you are going to talk about you know, relegation promotion. For instance, a side like... Paderborn or Werder Bremen, they would say, well, we are still in with a fair chance of getting to the playoff spot, uh, the relegation playoff spot. Or maybe if we put together a run of four or five wins in a row, we might get out of the relegation zone. So relegating us would be unfair. But then again, on the other hand side, you would have Bielefeld and Stuttgart and Hamburg saying, well, we were just about to get promoted. So what should you do? Should you have a league with 20 teams, 22 teams? And, you know, all through the divisions, you are going to face these questions, which is, you know, on top of bankruptcies and clubs being 
desperate for money going forward. That is also going to be, a, you know, the questions facing those clubs, and which is going to create an entire mess that probably needs to be sorted out over the summer. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that that what what you just mentioned is a very important point. My argument against uh, nullifying the season, which is also a solution that's being heard in some circles, anyways, as far as I understand, in the media, anyways, and on social media, the one minus about it is exactly this: the sporting merit of what clubs have achieved so far. And I really think one solution I've heard being made—I can't remember by whom. Apologies if that was your tweet that I was reading. But anyways, someone suggested something along the lines of having a bigger Bundesliga next season of 20 teams and having three or four teams being relegated. That's, for instance, a solution I can really I can really see the logic behind it because that way you're, you are being fair to the clubs who are positioned up top right now. <laughs> and SSV would still miss out on being promoted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean it's just it's just a matter of being fair to what to, to the sporting merits of what clubs have achieved so far. And I really don't think that's fair. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's a difficult situation, but I can only hope that a solution will be found that won't hurt the what you call like hurting the sporting merit of the competition. I really hope that a solution will be found that won't ignore that and that will take that into effect because if we are going to nullify results that have already been achieved, I can only imagine the amount, the outcry. I can only imagine the lawsuits. I can only imagine the atmosphere around German football and football in general, an atmosphere of many, many groups, many fan clubs, many fans, many clubs feeling cheated because in a way they they will be cheated under those circumstances. I can only hope that a solution could be found that will make us basically not get into the situation. But again, I genuinely do not envy Christian Seifert, the DFL, the DFB in this situation. I really think they're, they're, they have a mammoth task on their hands right now. And I can only hope for the sake of both them and us as football fans and our clubs, I can only hope that they'll get it right. <laughs> Talking about our clubs, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of Brighton fan, so I kind of had already made my peace with uh, being in the Bundesliga 2 next season. I, w- I was actually looking at uh, how to get to our from where I live. Fantastic. And <laughs> I can only recommend. I've been there with FT last season. Uh, just a short story about our. We've traveled there on a very, very sunny day. It was 20 degrees. People were with T-shirts. Fantastically ride. Very picturesque. The moment we got to our, it was snowing. So that's, I think, everything you everything you need to know about our. Um, Actually, a uh, little known fact about our is that the first nuclear weapons produced by the Soviet Union, the, the uranium in those um, in those uh, weapon hats that actually were produced in the Erzgebirge mm-hmm. by people who watched Wismut Auer, which was the predecessor team of Erzgebirge Auer. So there you go. Well, Felix, I wanted you to come on to talk to me about German fan culture for maybe 25, 30 minutes, and here we've talked for an entire hour. There we go. <laughs> Thank you so much for once again joining us on Talking Football, and 
it would be rude for me not to ask you to plug your stuff. So where can people find your work and where can they find you on Twitter? Well, I'm on Twitter uh, at ftamsut. Obviously, my work has been mostly seen light uh, for Deutsche Welle, uh, DW Sports, and for other media outlets. And yeah, just come to Twitter, have a chat, have a virtual beer together or something. Just a shout out to my friend Mareika that brought me this wonderful Dortmunder Kronen uh, <laughs> export. Fantastic beer. Can only recommend it. And yeah, come by. Yeah. Shout out to... Uh my local brewery, Salikat, which provided this, um, it's a bit more hipsterish than your beer. I'm, I'm drinking a mango smoothie IPA. Oh, God. Which, um, yeah, it, it's, um, it's, it's a bit more hipsterish than Dortmund export, I, I would imagine. It, it, it wouldn't pass the Deutsche Reinheitsgebot, I think. Definitely so. not. It's, it's brewed with loads and loads and loads of mango puree, which, um, you know, German brewers would frown upon, to say the least. Yeah. But to be slightly more serious about this, breweries right now are hurting because, especially here in countries like Norway, where they ex export a lot of their beer, that has stopped from happening. No bar in the world is open at the moment. So if you care for a brewery, buy their stuff. They, they need it more than ever, and you might need a beer more than ever right about now. Absolutely. I also, I also, it's also worth mentioning that many of the breweries have sort of shifted from uh, making beer to making like uh, alcohol gels and stuff like that. So support your local breweries, absolutely. Support your local businesses, local restaurants. You're going to need them once the corona thing is over. So yeah, do that. Yes, Felix, hopefully we can talk about something else than corona-related stuff next time you're on. Here's to hoping. Be that very soon. Here's to hoping. Fingers crossed. Keep healthy, everyone. That's all I have to say. Once again, thanks a lot to Felix Tamzut for talking to us at length about German football culture. It was truly a delight to have him back on our show. We'll be back next week talking to you about all the latest developments within German football. Until then, stay safe. Bye.